Hello, I'm your host, Kathy Chester, and welcome to the Move It or Lose It podcast, a podcast about all things that move the mind, body, and soul. The Move It or Lose It podcast is for information, awareness, and inspirational purposes only. I am not a doctor, and I don't even play one on TV. So please consult with your doctor before making any medical decisions. The views expressed by advertisers, guests, or contributors are their opinions and not necessarily the views of the Move It or Lose It podcast. We are very excited to have Dr. Jim Jackson with us on Move It or Lose It today. Not just a psychologist, but a neuropsychologist. And we're going to learn a lot today about what does it mean to have COVID, but to have COVID longer and maybe not even be hospitalized, but when we're having some cognitive issues with COVID and it's lasting for a long time, and maybe sometimes we don't even know, well, today we're going to find out some issues and how to deal with that. So Dr. Jackson, we are so excited to have you today. And I am now very excited to have the opportunity to get your book on Audible, which is my favorite because my eyes don't allow me to see it. Your book is called Clearing the Fog, which I think most of us can understand brain fog at this point. So Dr. Jackson, thank you for being here with us on Move It or Lose It. I'm really happy, Kathy, to be with you. I I would be happy to be with you regardless, but the fact that you live in Michigan and I'm a longtime Michigander from way on back, I live in Tennessee now, makes me even happier to be with you. So I'm excited to dig into some important issues today, Kathy. Yeah, for sure. So Dr. Jackson, I am, like I said, I'm really enjoying your book. I'm only on the fourth chapter and you really get deep into some cognitive therapy stuff. So for those who don't understand what cognitive therapy is, I don't know how you can live in the world right now and don't understand cognitive stuff, but help our listeners understand what that means. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And I would make a distinction between cognitive therapy, which sometimes refers to things like cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. People talk about CBT. I'd make a distinction between that and cognitive therapy, meaning cognitive rehab. And cognitive rehab is a really important way of helping restore cognitive functioning in people. It's been used, as you know, in MS patients very effectively. For many years, it's been used in people with things called chemo brain or chemo fog. It's been used in people with cognitive dysfunction due to HIV. And for some reason, it hasn't been applied very often to people with COVID, that is with long COVID, but it should be. And that's what I talk a lot about in the book, that cognitive rehab, when people use it, really helps them improve, helps them get better. Right. Absolutely. And I can tell that just recently have I started with cognitive therapy. And what a difference. I've been able to really dig into the issues that I felt cognitively, whereas before, let's say I I just see, um, not just, but see a, a regular therapist who may be able to understand a few of my issues, but can't really dig into the stuff that's really plaguing me, that's really dragging me down. And so I desperately appreciate the ability that a cognitive therapist is able to really help me through, to really walk me through. It's really important. Uh, You know, when you ask people what area of functioning they prioritize the most, what area you prioritize the most, 
Um, many patients will say, well, I prioritize my cognitive functioning the most. If I've lost that, I don't have much. You know, that's what we right. hear patients say. And so I think we need to give it the respect that it deserves is the way that I would put it. it uh, it's the thing, cognitive ability, that keeps us functioning. It's the thing that keeps us working, gives us a quality of life we want, and it really deserves a lot of respect. And so um, when I target issues with long COVID patients and decide which ones to address, cognitive functioning is always at the very top of the pyramid because when that improves, a lot of other issues improve. Mental health improves, day-to-day functioning improves. Um, It's really important and cognitive rehab is effective as well. Right. So I'm going to go backwards now. So you're, as I was reading about you, just getting to know some of the stuff that you've done, your background in research, medicine, you've got a lot going on. You've done a lot. So what made you kind of switch over and, and tell, determine the path for you? What, how did you kind of move from there into going into some more cognitive stuff? Sure. It's a great question. Uh, I grew up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, down in the Southwest side and I went to college. I initially thought I was going to be a sportscaster. That's really what I wanted to do. And then um, I think I decided that that would be terrific. But I decided that really helping people was what I was cut out to do. And so that led me down this winding road um, into psychology. And after I started at Vanderbilt a little over 20 years ago, I started working with survivors of intensive care, people who were on ventilators, people who were critically ill. And um, I worked with those patients for almost two decades, and then the pandemic hit, and um, we started seeing a lot of patients in the ICU, but in the ICU because of COVID. They were on a ventilator for a long time. They had PTSD. They had brain injuries. We started treating them. I did. We did. And even as we started treating them, we started treating people. It was kind of a natural progression who had COVID, who were never in the ICU, who were in the hospital, and many who were never very sick at all. We kind of, um, following the field of dreams analogy, we decided if we build it, maybe they'll come. So we built a program. People just started coming. And before I knew it, I was drinking out of a fire hose. You know, it was all long COVID all the time. And it was really a privilege because when you hear the stories of people with long COVID, you begin to appreciate how completely derailed their lives have been. And and hearing those stories, I felt like, you know, I've got to jump in the deep end of the pool. I've got to get my hands dirty to help. And we started, we first started with a support group and then we added another one, then another. Um, We now have five support groups every week. And you're still doing them, correct? We're doing them, about a hundred people a week from all over, um, actually all over the world. A lot of research on cognition, And it's been really gratifying, this work with long COVID patients. Um, One of the surprising parts, and you referenced this earlier, is that early on, we thought if you were really sick with COVID, if you were in the ICU with COVID, yes, you're going to have some bad outcomes. But I didn't expect that from people who had very mild cases of COVID. And so Mm -hmm. I was as surprised as anyone when people who were never really very sick they had brain injuries, they had depression, they had PTSD, they had fatigue, but that's what we see. You don't have to have a severe case of COVID right. to have some really negative consequences from COVID. Right. What about, um, Dr. Jackson, what about the age? Were you surprised by, you know, because I, I remember in the beginning, you know, even my, our kids, we have five young adults 
And they weren't worried about it in the beginning. They were like, only old people are getting it. And so are you noticing with the with the small groups, with, are you noticing a lot of younger people? Yeah, um, we did notice that. And that has been surprising. I, I, I think many of us thought this was going to be a problem that that was mostly going to affect the elderly and the vulnerable, not entirely, but mostly. But, you know, when you interact with people, even in our support groups, there are 23-year-old college track athletes, you know, there are ultra marathoners, there are CrossFit buffs, you know, you you name it, people who were really at the prime of their life and the prime of their functioning, and they too are suffering from COVID. In some ways, I think it is especially hard for them sure, because their lives have been completely turned upside down, right? Yeah. And that's what we're seeing, young and old frail and healthy and everything in between, they're vulnerable to getting long COVID. It just doesn't discriminate, does it? It just hits you. I always say that about multiple sclerosis. It doesn't discriminate where it wants to hit. It just does. There's a phrase, respecter of persons. uh, And and that applies here, right? Like long COVID, as with MS, is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't really matter who you are. It It can land on you. And honestly, um, that fact, the fact that it can land on you and turn your life upside down pretty quickly, that's what causes a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. in the patients that we see, because it's really like you're whistling a tune, you're walking across an intersection, and suddenly you're hit by a truck. That's how dramatic it is, yeah. and that's how much people's lives have been upended, as you know by yeah. this. I know a lot in the beginning, um, people that have, that are like myself, that are lucky enough to have all three to have rheumatoid epilepsy and MS or just one, it's been a big help to be able to sit with people who have COVID and, you know, kind of, especially in the beginning, kind of calm them down. Because as you understand, living with a disease like that, that is not going to go away is something that we can give them, you know, breath and just kind of relax them and just have them understand that it is, this is different. This is something that hits you. You weren't expecting it but we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay because it is something so scary. I love that comment. I, I really love the comment and I love the the spirit of the comment. That is when people developed long COVID, many of them, I think, developed an opinion. And that opinion was, if I can get rid of all my symptoms, then I'm going to be okay. Right. But unless I get rid of all my symptoms, I'm not going to be okay. And and what we've seen is that a lot of people from other areas of the chronic illness community, people a little older and wiser in the ways of chronic illness, they have come alongside of people with long COVID and they have said, you know, we've got you. I know you feel pretty alone, but we've got you. We found a way to live with this. We found a way to live fully with this. And you can too. It's not so simple, but you can too. So the role that you all have played, it's been really beautiful to see, Kathy. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear. And you know, you have to kind of time it, right? Like with us, when when I was 20, something I was like, I don't not ready to hear that yet. And so we have to kind of time it in a way that when they're ready to hear that, we're there to be off to offer that. Are you battling a chronic illness like multiple sclerosis and know it's time to add exercise program and movement to your body in order for you to have the best health and independence for you? 
I am so excited to announce the launch of my new program, Damn It, a disrupt, move, and transform program. For us, autoimmune warriors with a trainer who really gets it, me. You can participate in either virtual one-on-one training, virtual group training, or both. To find out more on how you or loved one can benefit from this training, email me, msdisrupted at gmail.com. Message me on Facebook or Instagram at msdisrupted. Look at the website, msdisrupted.com. Take a look. Can't wait to see your face. What really um, started to, I don't want to say use the word scare, but made me very alert to how this was continuing was, you know, with MS and with some of the autoimmune things, cognitive stuff is not new to us. We understand cognitive issues. We get that we get it all the time. However, watching our friends and our family after this pandemic started to slow down and we're watching them still putting, you know, things in the microwave that don't go there, putting keys in the microwave or pans in the microwave or not thinking we were parking, but still in drive, things like that. We were like, this is getting weird. Like our family, our friends, clients are still um, not They're They're more like us. Like we're now, we're now holding the cognitive stuff for them. So this is really weird for us. And we're still seeing it. We're, we're not seeing it slow down. We're seeing it trying to be hidden. So they look, so they don't look like it's bad, but because we've lived with it for so long, we're watching it saying, mm, it's not okay yet. It's still it's still there. I, I think it's a really thoughtful comment. Uh, I mean, you, people read the news today and it seems like every day you're reading about things like two planes that almost crash, right? Or um, an accident that someone had, preventable sorts of things that are happening. Sure. And it does sometimes feel like cognitive impairment is epidemic in everyone. It feels that way. and. Um, you know, when I talk to the people in our support group, of course, they've been diagnosed with long COVID, but regardless, um, they describe cognitive errors that they're making all the time. And they are the sorts of things that you mentioned. They are putting the car in, uh, keeping the car in drive as you yeah. get out of the car, right? And it runs into the fence or <laughs> or stopping at a green light or right. driving through a red light or, um, you know, uh, there's so many things. And I think those reflect a, a, a lot of problems. Those reflect cognitive problems with things like attention, with things like memory, with things like executive functioning. And they also reflect, I think, a general level of stress in our society that is so high where people are worried and preoccupied, I think, with everything. And if you're distracted, that's a problem, even if you're not cognitively impaired. But if you're cognitively impaired already and you're worried about any manner of things, it makes that cognitive impairment even worse. And that's what we see a lot. So would you say that the fear of finances, our our children have gone from here to here? Because I know with, for me, with clients and stuff, a lot of teachers, parents, teachers fearful saying that the end of the school year has been out of this world with kids. And I mean, elementary kids, so angry and throwing out words that they don't even know, but just lashing them out at each other. And I, parents being just like, I don't know, the bills, the groceries, everything just 
has them here. So I can imagine, I know with me, just cognitively, that makes us worse. So I can only imagine what it's doing for parents and teachers and that stuff. I think it, I think it's really hard. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a term that we use a lot, anticipatory anxiety Mm -hmm. and anticipatory anxiety is anxiety about things that haven't happened yet might not happen, um, but they might, right? You're anticipating that they will. And um, I think so many people are living in this place of anticipatory anxiety. They're they're worried that if there's another shoe that is going to drop, it's darn sure going to drop, right? If there's sure. one other thing that can go wrong, it is sure as heck going to go wrong. Yeah. And um, I think that anxiety drives the development of cognitive problems makes those worse. And as those cognitive problems get worse, that makes the anxiety get worse. And it's really a little bit of a vicious cycle. So we've got to figure out how can we intervene and break the cycle? There there are a couple of ways to break the cycle. One is let's address the cognitive issues, which can make the mental health issues better. The other approach would be let's address the anxiety. And in addressing the anxiety, we're probably going to affect the cognition. So I don't know that it matters what order, but we've got to do something to break that cycle. Right, right. Because we know that if we're always here, cognitively, we're not thinking properly. So I agree with you. They both have to be dealt with for sure. So for those who don't even have never been heard long-term COVID or long, what does that even mean to someone? Yeah, long COVID is a it's a term that is frustratingly imprecise to people. I think uh, you know there was a grassroots movement to 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 use the term. The term was developed by a COVID survivor, and and people kind of adopted it. And I think in many ways it's really a helpful term, but it's a little unclear what it means. I think in general it refers to a situation where you develop COVID. And then the acute symptoms of COVID went away and brand new problems that you didn't have before continued, long COVID. So um, those problems fall into a number of different buckets, cognitive buckets, mental health buckets, and buckets related to fatigue. Those, I think, are probably the three main buckets. There's no clear definition about when it becomes long COVID, when it stops becoming long COVID, we we need to understand that a bit more. But in general, long COVID refers to problems you didn't have before that exist after you develop COVID. And they catch people by surprise because they didn't exist before. Thank you for explaining that, because I think that's the confusing part. People, I think, believe that they've had to have COVID for a long time. And I'm like, no, I think what it means is what you said. Yeah, many people with long COVID will tell you that they hardly had COVID at all. You know, they had it for a minute. And that, I think, is what makes this challenging because I think family members far too often say things like, you know, you really weren't very sick. You barely had COVID. So how on earth can you be this impaired? And uh, I think, honestly, unfortunately, that's what people have heard for a long time in the disability community, right? That oh, comment, gosh, yeah. you look so well, you look really great. You must be fine. And, You're good. Uh, right? I, I think we need to do a better job communicating to family and friends, to society at large, that 
that we need to frame that a little bit differently yeah. because I think that's hurtful and really dismissive of people. Oh, for sure. I know we've talked a lot about that, um, especially this last year. Patients' voices have gotten louder. And with that, I agree. With this, it has to be the same. I, I believe, especially with our younger people, that they believe like we did, then I, I guess I'm okay. And we can't have that continuously going on because we know now that it's not. Exactly. It's not okay. Exactly. So I'm very excited that you're going on and that other doctors are doing the same. You're an internationally renowned expert on long COVID now. It's cognitive effects. Where do you see this landing and what are the current treatments? It's a great question. Um, you know, people use the term brain fog. And when we talk to our patients about that term, some of them like it, many of them don't, some of them do. But um, I typically prefer to call it cognitive impairment or even a brain injury, mm -hmm. because I think that's probably a little more accurate, number one. And number two, if you have a brain injury, um, physicians and, and medical professionals, they want to treat that brain injury. If you have brain fog, they often don't do anything. But if you have a brain injury, people are going to mobilize. So I think if we can succeed in calling this what it is, a brain injury, um, one thing that is going to happen is people are going to start getting cognitive rehab, which we discussed earlier. And I think as they get cognitive rehabilitation, they likely are going to get better. Their brains may remain injured. You know, the damage done may still be done. But even if that's true, they're going to learn to function a lot better than they did before. So I think that's one place this is going, that we are going to enlist the help of people like speech and language pathologists and occupational therapists. They're really the content experts in cognitive rehab. And I think hopefully an army of these people are going to really help make a difference in the lives of people with long COVID. There are other um, approaches to treating brain injuries that are being tried. There's a trial, for instance, at Yale using a medication called guanfacine. It's a non-stimulant that people use for ADD. There are some pharmacologic options that seem in early trials to be really promising, but I think we're gonna find that cognitive rehabilitation is the thing that is most helpful. I think the other thing that is happening that I'm hopeful will continue to happen is this general idea that people will begin to understand even if I can't make all these problems go away, even if I can't find a doctor to make them go away, I can find a way to live a really rich and meaningful life. And that's the that's the key on the piano that I keep playing over and over and over, that, that, that you don't want this, and thank God, you can find a way to coexist with this. Um, I, was, I was diagnosed in 2018 with OCD, with right. obsessive compulsive disorder, and um, I couldn't wait to get rid of it. And my psychologist said, I don't think we're getting rid of it, Jim. That's not how it really works. And uh, I resisted so much. And one day it dawned on me, maybe I can live with this. Maybe I can live a full life with this. And I'm doing that. And that insight has helped me understand, I think, that we can invite people with long COVID to do the same. Yes, I love that. I mean, this happened to our whole world. And so we're going to be dealing with this together. And it's as frustrating as it is, are these chronic things that we that a lot of us have. We do learn, some of us don't, but a lot of us do learn to have very 
happy lives, very fulfilling lives, doing things like I talk to, I train clients. I, my job is, I was always a trainer. I owned a gym. So I just took what I do and I just reframed it. And I thought, and I really did it through COVID. I thought I've done this. I've trained a million people. I really want to switch it, frame it. So now I'm training people that have had COVID, that have MS, that have rheumatoid, that have had strokes, brain injuries, that they can redo, that they can learn to move, that they can move their bodies. So they're not just sitting all day. I love that. I love that. It's just so important. I It was great to my husband. I said, I have a great proposition for you. I'm going to start something. I'm going to earn a third of my income. I mean, <laughs> how exciting could that be? How could he say no to that? So, <laughs> but it has been, there's no way you can put a, a price tag on watching somebody move a foot for the first time. I can't put a price tag on that. And it's very fulfilling. And it's just, um, it, it's just, unbelievable. Now with Zoom opening up when that wasn't, now they everybody knows how to do that. So there's no reason for it not to be done in every state and every country. And so seeing, which I'm sure you've seen, seeing people take advantage of us, seeing people all of a sudden, I'm 20 years old and I know how to do this. I'm a professional. And I'm like, I have to step in. I have to step in and do something. So I'm sure it was how you felt. It was. It, it really was. I mean, I think there are people in this space, in every space, who take advantage, right, of vulnerable people. And I think um, long COVID patients, they would agree, they're pretty vulnerable. You know, they feel pretty vulnerable. And um, they often are without a lot of guidance. And I've talked with many of them, and they have said um, in the cognitive arena, especially in the mental health arena, they're often really reluctant to talk to their doctors sure. about their mental health challenges because they're really afraid that their doctors will say, aha, I told you so. This is all in your head, right? It's just depression, it's just anxiety. So we have a lot of people with untreated mental health problems uh, and who wouldn't have depression, who wouldn't have PTSD if their life has been turned upside down. So I think for people who have expertise, and in, in my case, in rehabilitation and, and neuropsychology, things of that sort, it's really important to mobilize and, as I said, kind of jump in the deep end of the pool and, and help. In the case of our support group, we probably didn't have the bandwidth to start five. We probably didn't. But um, if you wait until you're really ready, this is what my wife and I have all, all often said, right? Right. You'll never do anything, right? You'll and never, you'll never have kids, exactly, and none of it happens. So, you know, if there if there are healthcare professionals listening, I would say, come on in. The water's fine. You know, we need your help here. Right. Don't wait until you're ready. Don't wait until everything is perfect. Long COVID survivors, they need your support right now. Absolutely, and people that care—that's right. that's the big thing. People that have the heart to know what they're doing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Move It or Lose It podcast, where you can, again, find us wherever you like your podcast, whether it's Apple, Spotify, join us on that. And we can't wait to see you again. We're going to have a lot of exciting guests and working together. And as always, you'll hear us say at the end of every podcast, we are stronger together. So let's do it. Let's become stronger together. Have a great day. Hey.